You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Meanwhile, Buffalo, welcome to your participation in the 2020 draft. You gave up that first round pick to get ride receiver Stephon Diggs out of Minnesota. And now you have your first pick of the draft. Let's go back to Commissioner Goodell. Come on, Bills fans, let's go. With the 54th pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Buffalo Bills select A.J. Epinesa, defensive end, Iowa. Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? Welcome to the Circling the Wagons podcast, a podcast discussing the Bills all year round with interviews, news, recaps, and insightful fan discussion. Most times, here's your host and lifelong Bills fan, Nate. Hey Bills fans, welcome to our draft wrap-up episode of Circling the Wagons, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Nate. It's a pleasure to be here with you to talk about the Bills draft and get thoughts from none other than one of the talented draft writers at buffalorumblings.com, Dan Lavoy. Now, Dan has been covering the Bills and the draft for Buffalo Rumblings since 2014. He's written uh, tons of articles on the team and prospects headed into this draft. And I thought it would be a great time to just catch up with him and uh, get his thoughts on each prospect, his thoughts on the overall draft, the job that Brandon Bean and the front office have done this offseason. We talk about grading the draft, which prospects he thought were the biggest steal, which was the most puzzling pick, and a lot more. So without further ado, our discussion with Dan Lavoy on the Bills 2020 draft class. He has been covering the draft for buffalorumblings.com since 2014. He's written for Cover One and is one of the many great writers with a focus on the draft this year for the site. I'd like to welcome one of the editors and second-in-command at Buffalo Rumblings, Dan Lavoy, to the podcast. Dan, it is great to finally talk to you. How are you? I'm doing good. Glad to finally talk to you as well. Thank you. Well, appreciate your time on this. I know you've written a lot of articles about the Bills draft thus far on the site and wanted to get your overall thoughts on the Bills draft class. Now, you've been writing and and scouting college football players since last season. It all culminated into seven picks for the Bills this past weekend. What were your thoughts on the Bills draft as a whole? And do you think that Bean and the front office did a good job overall? I thought that this was a little bit of an unexpected draft for me, um, but by no means was it a bad draft. Um, I I kind of came in expecting the Bills to be aggressive. Uh, I figured with the roster being mostly competing for the Super Bowl with, uh, with the players they already had, I was kind of expecting them to be more precise and target, you know, three or four key positions and, 
and just go for it and pick the most talented players they could. Uh, but they opted to stay in place and, and just draft at every position that they had. Um, and I thought overall it was a, a good mix of productive college players um, and a couple here and there that have some potential that if they realize it might turn them into a starter down the road. Okay, great. Yeah, you, know, you mentioned this, like we're in the fortunate position as Bills fans just to be in a spot where we didn't need the Bills to draft a player at a certain position early, you know, unlike drafts in the past. You think about when the Bills drafted Josh Allen and Tremaine Edmonds a couple of seasons ago, or even even Tredavis White. I mean, we were in desperate need for players at those positions. I mean, even Ed Oliver last season, we really needed a three-technique defensive tackle. How nice was it just to go into this draft and say, hey, you know, every everyone that we get just has... They, they can almost get like a red shirt season this season and become a starter in 2021 or just a larger, you know, or have a larger role or compete with the starters on the team, you know, this season, but we don't need them to start. I mean, how nice is that, you know, to sit back and see it from that point of view? Yeah, uh, it's definitely a luxury to see even the first pick and the first two picks that we had, they, if they come in and out the gate are on top of, on top of the game and you know, and they're ready, they will go out and they will be contributors and they'll earn their sacks or their touchdowns or whatever. But at the end of the day, if if they're not ready, the Bills have Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes and Devin Singletary and TJ Yeldon. And those players are there to support this incoming draft class, which is a very unusual circumstance for the Bills. I don't, I can't think of a time where I felt like that about a rookie class. Yeah, I agree there. So, so let's go into the Bills draft pick by pick. Let's start off with the Bills second round pick, their first pick of the draft, where you had uh, edge defender, defensive end, AJ Epinesa from Iowa drafted. Um, obviously a huge individual, six foot five, 275 pounds. Dan, what, what did you think about um, this pick for the Buffalo Bills? Yeah, this is interesting because he is not at all the style of edge defender that the NFL has been going for in recent seasons. Um, you see a lot more of like the 6'3", 240 pound uh, speed rusher. Um, and and Epines is very much a throwback. When Dean was talking about how he sees Epinesa, he sees him as a left defensive end, uh, some more of that power player that's going to be going up against your your run-blocking right tackles more often. And he sees him also as a versatile player that they can flex inside uh, and have him play some reps at defensive tackle. Um, so this is a little similar to how they used Shaq Lawson in the last couple of seasons. He would, he would do the same thing on passing downs. Uh, and, and it's also kind of like a Michael Bennett type of player where, you know, same thing. He's, he's going to be able to play on the edge. He's going to be able to set the edge and he can flex inside and try using, you know, a swim move against a defensive tackle. Um, so he's a, he's a very, very strong prospect in, in terms of his power. And he knows how to use his hands with that power to throw off offensive linemen. Uh, the key is how is he going to handle offensive tackles who can handle that power and force him to pick another move? So you're talking about his his less than athletic profile in certain areas. Is that why you think he fell to the Bills at, at 54? Because I'd seen other areas where they had him going in the first round. Yeah, I think earlier on 
uh, at least the, the perception was that Epinesa was a first round talent until he was measured at the combine and, and had that slow 40. He had the slow three cone drill um, short shuttle was, you know, another disappointment. And I think uh, with some teams, especially at edge rusher, which depends so much on that athleticism, uh, that's, that immediately is going to strike you down the list. Um, and I, I also think to that end, Bean also made a point that there, there's kind of that style uh, of rusher that certain schemes just don't look for uh, where the Bills do use it. Uh, so I think in this case, it just turned out that the teams that needed pass rushers the most were also the ones that were not looking for that style. Um from from Epinesa, and, and even looking in the first round, uh, players that kind of went down that path, it was really just um, Caleb on Chasen was the was the big name after that, uh, and otherwise they mostly steered clear. So I just think uh, the the needs did not line up uh, for for his type of play, and at the end of the day, he worked out for the for the Bills and what they were looking for. Do you think this could mean the end of Trent Murphy? on the defensive line do you think that he'll replace him in the rotation and they'll keep with the younger guys like daryl johnson jr and and mike love or does this mean that he's just going to end up being part of that rotation probably behind a mario addison or jerry hughes i think if we had a regular uh off season and a regular preseason and you give epinesa a chance to show himself through all the training camp and everything you give mike love and and um and those guys uh, who are coming back for another season, another chance to show off. I think you could make the case that, yeah, Trent Murphy is, is a preseason cut. Uh, I mean, the team saves $8 million off the salary cap by letting him go, and that's significant. I think what will be a challenge this year is, depending on at what point the NFL allows teams to start joint practices again, um, Epinesa just may not have enough time to claim that spot. And I, I think the bills are going to err on the side of caution if they have to and, and keep Murphy around and have that four man deep rotation. Okay. That makes sense. Cause there's really no advantage of them releasing him uh, at any point because they save the money, no matter what, unless they see a need where they could instantly, this is the last year of his deal. So unless they can immediately use the money, there's really no sense that that makes sense to me, especially considering the off season that we'll have. Um, let's go on to the Bills' third-round pick in this year's draft, Zach Moss, the running back on, out of Utah. What are your thoughts on that pick for the Buffalo Bills? Yeah, I thought this made a lot of sense. I mean, that that seems to be the theme with, with this pick uh, across the board is the Bills telegraphed for, I mean, really for years that they want a player who is uh, who will wear down defenses, who are going to punish them and just does not go down at initial contact. And we kind of all saw that coming that if the bills were not going to be able to get one of that top tier of running backs uh, in the first round or two, that Zach Moss was the template. And, um, you know, to that end, Brandon Bean was saying uh, that night that he tried trading up just to make sure that he could get Moss. Uh, they after Keyshawn Vaughn went uh, a few picks earlier, they were worried that they might not have the chance, but um, they couldn't find a partner, so they stuck with him. So I see Moss being, you know, the one B runner 
to Devin Singletary pretty much from the get-go. Um, he's a ton of college experience. He can handle pass protection. He can go flare out and, and catch passes. So he has the experience to be a contributor on day one. And I think, you know, the the question about his ceiling uh, could certainly apply. You, you might not get, you know, a, a star 1,200-yard season out of him, um, but he's going to be more effective this season than Frank Gore was last season. And I think that that's huge for, for this Bills offense. Yeah, definitely. So I've seen only some highlights on Zach Moss, and he kind of reminds me a little bit of Devin Singletary. Now, maybe he's not as slippery as Singletary, and he, maybe he's more of a north-south runner. But I mean, what do you see between the differences uh, uh, between him, he and Singletary? So when I watched Singletary, I always... I always kind of got a LaShawn McCoy vibe, which just the really shifty between the tackles and lots of little uh, quick steps to get him position. Um, Moss is, he's more of a, he, he has the contact balance that I think is huge, um, where Singletary is all about kind of erasing angles and, um, and making it tough for a defender to get a hand on him. Moss is just really good at stepping through tackles, bouncing off of them, spinning away from them. Uh, he's a patient runner, and he, he follows his blocks, but um, just has really good instincts for when somebody's coming at him, you know, cover up the ball, get ready for the contact, keep those legs moving, and kind of bounce off. So I don't ever see him as like a, a Derrick Henry who's going to just drag three defenders with him the whole way, um, but he's going to be that guy that when you need to get a third and one conversion and you send him up there, you know, even if even if there are guys reaching for him, he's gonna you know wiggle his way through and try to find that extra yardage for the first down. Okay, great. Now he's not a home run hitter, right? So he's more of like Singletary in that mold. Yeah, I don't see him as a guy who's going to be completing a forty-yard or a fifty-yard run. Um, he's he's definitely capable of stretching out those long runs, and we've seen the same thing with Singletary, where he he's capable of breaking the big play. Um, but definitely not the guy that's going to take it 70 yards and go. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now let's go on to the Bills' fourth-round pick, wide receiver Gabriel Davis out of the University of Central Florida. Um, the Honestly, the highest draft pick for a wide receiver since the Zay Jones pick. I mean, what were your thoughts on this pick, and did you like it for the Buffalo Bills? This was definitely the part of the draft where I... I got out of sync with Brandon Bean and I was trying to figure out what is, what is his overall goal here? Um, I was kind of wondering, is he going to do some trading up at some point? Uh, there were questions about, uh, was he, was he looking at maybe a cornerback? Was he maybe thinking he might get an offensive lineman? Um, he went with the wide receiver. And I, I think that made a lot of sense in, uh, in this draft where you got to get the talented wide receivers in a talented wide receiver draft. Gabriel Davis is going to be the challenger for Robert Foster early on. Uh, I'm not sure if he's ready to be an immediate contributor and, and take on the, you know, 20 to 50 touches that Isaiah McKenzie was getting last season. But in terms of a big play downfield threat, a guy who builds up speed and, you know, is crossing the field on those deep crossers, um, Davis can be that, 
he's a lot more natural catching the football than Foster is. He he can adjust to difficult passes. He he does you know he'll pluck them out of the air. Um, he has a good double move and you know is he's explosive. Um, I think he still needs to work on some tightness in his hips because uh, running the full root tree is not always an option. But I'm encouraged by what I saw kind of uh, from his college tape and. He definitely, he, yeah, he's the playmaker for UCF, and I think he's going to have that in his genes when he comes into the league and plays for the Bills. So I remember you saying that, you know, I, I remember looking at this part of the draft thinking the Bills were going to draft Bryce Hall, the cornerback out of Virginia, um, and even other people were saying if they did go wide receiver, you know, people were clamoring for Antonio Gandy-Golden out of Liberty. I mean, did the Bills make the right decision in your opinion, to go for Gabriel Davis in this in this situation? Yeah, I've, I've thought about it. Um, personally, I wasn't as high on Gandy Golden as some of the other um, some of the others out there in the community. I he yeah he has obvious physical gifts, just his size and his length. I had concerns about his overall explosiveness, his ability to get open, um, you know, against press coverage or against defenders that are sitting on the shorter routes because he's not fast enough to get past them. Um, so I, I, you know, I didn't really have a preference for him at that point. And looking at the other receivers that were on the board, um, n- nobody really stands out to me above Gabriel Davis. Um, to be honest, I was mostly looking for who's that guy, you know, in rounds two or three that we could get if we're going to go that route. Um, and to that end, I think, you know, I think Davis is, he stacks up against any of the other options uh, in the next round or two as a guy that has that potential. You know, none of them are going to be starting as a rookie, but he has that ability to, to break a big play and, and give the Bills some deep touchdowns if he can, you know, if he can improve his route running and get comfortable catching from Josh Allen. Okay. So now we go to the fifth round pick. What probably one of the most controversial picks for the Buffalo Bills this year in the draft was quarterback Jake Fromm out of the University of Georgia. Dan, did you like this pick? I mean, were you surprised by it? I, I was definitely as surprised as everybody else by seeing Jake Fromm go to the Bills. Um, I, I liked it. Uh, I, I even said uh, the morning of that, you know, I. I don't think it's probably the right idea. I don't think they're going to go for it. But man, Jake Fromm's still there. I wonder what happens. Um, and I, yeah, I just loved, I loved watching him when he was a freshman. And you know, he just came in totally cold, first game of the first game of his college career, first game of the season. Um, and he has to come in and take over that offense as a true freshman. And you know, he took them all the way to the national championship. And, and they would have won that if not for, you know, the defense giving up at the end. Um, I understand the questions with Fromm. The question being, does he have the arm strength? Does he have the ability to spin the football against the elements in Buffalo? You know, it, he's not as, he's not an athletic quarterback. So he's a very different style from Josh Allen, but. At the same time, you could also say that about Matt Barkley. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. Barkley's not an athletic quarterback. Um, he is, you know, the reason he fell to the fourth round back when he was drafted was because of concerns about his arm strength. Um, so 
obviously when you go with these less physically talented quarterbacks, you might get a Colt McCoy, you might get a Kellen Moore, maybe you're going to get a Jake Browning who's never going to play in the league. Um, it's a gamble, uh, but every quarterback's a gamble. And at the end of the day, like I would definitely take a chance, especially with a fifth round pick, if I'm being honest, like that's, that's no big deal. Uh, I would definitely take a chance on a guy with his resume and just say, you know what? You're here. We're not expecting you to do anything because we've got our franchise guy, but show us what you got. Like, I'm all for that. So you mentioned Fromm is kind of like, is almost like an anti-Josh Allen in some physical attributes. You know, he's shorter. He doesn't have the strong arm like Josh does, but then you made the comparison. He's almost exactly like Matt Barkley in that respect, but except he's going to be making a lot less money per year, like almost $300,000 per year compared to Barkley's $2 million this year. I mean, the Bills don't usually keep three quarterbacks on the team if they don't have to, if there's not major injuries. Is there any way that they, keep, that they A, they're going to keep three quarterbacks. They're definitely not cutting Jake from. Um, but, I mean, potentially does he overtake Matt Barkley in the offseason if there is like a normal training camp and all that? Is there that potential within Jake from with his experience as a quarterback? You you made a good point there, which was which was in a normal off season, and I, I think that thing that we said earlier applies here. Uh, with with the really strange preseason schedule we've got, um, I don't see how it happens at all this year. Um, and I wouldn't have been sure that it would happen even if we had a regular preseason. I mean, I we've seen Bills teams that are capable of doing stuff like bringing Jeff Tool or Nate Peterman and saying, "Yep, we're good here." Um, but I, I think these I think these Bills understand that there's value in having a veteran there. Uh, and, and I also I feel that if you're going to have a backup quarterback, you you want to have the third guy identified just in case you do have that injury. You know, if, if Josh Allen gets hurt and he's out for a couple weeks, Matt Barkley is your starter. And now you're asking, all right, who's the backup to him? And so to that end, I would not want to put the Bills, especially when they want to try to go deep in the playoffs, I would not want to put the Bills in that position of saying, oh, Josh Allen got injured. Jake Fromm is in. Oh, okay. Now, now who's backing him up? Like, mm-hmm. I, I think they just, I think they err on the side of depth here. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. So the the next pick was the first of the two six-round picks for the Buffalo Bills. Um, it was Tyler Bass, kicker out of Georgia Southern, I believe. Um, yeah. What did you think about that pick? And do you think it was too high for a kicker, or is that is that about the right about the right time? Um, I would I would start with round six. I, I definitely think round six is acceptable territory for picking your specialist. So not not going to argue semantics on that one. And as for as for what I think about Tyler Bass, um, I I'm not going to claim to know that I scout nearly as much information about kicking, punting, any of that as I would the other positions on the field. So I'm I'm just as much an authority as you are on this one. 
so I can just go by what I know on the stats, which is that uh, he was basically perfect on his extra points. Um, he had an excellent season in 2018. 2019, he really struggled. Um, but I'm, I've read that almost all of his misses that season were on kicks over 50 yards. So it sounds like he's really good inside of 50. And I think at this point, we started seeing some of these like viral videos that he had made a while back of him, you know, just standing in place and kicking the ball 50 yards or like taking one step and kicking it 60 yards. Uh, he, he supposedly blew up the senior bowl the same way. He, he, you know, he kicked like a 68 yard field goal in practice. So he's got a cannon. Um, we, and we've seen that with like Dustin Hopkins and John Potter, some, some other guys the Bills used to bring in. So I, I, I think, you know, what the heck? Let's see him and see how he does in, in training camp. Can he take out Steven Hauschka? I don't know, mm-hmm. but it's, I guess it's worth a shot. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of under the, especially me having you know you being as much of a, an expert at, at Tyler Bass as me, which is nothing on almost all of these guys knowing about as much as you do. But I I'm I'm looking at this point and I'm like, yeah, you know, the fifth fifth round and later, you can pick almost any position. I'd be mostly okay with it because these are guys that are either depth or possibly just a lottery ticket to any position at this point. And, um, the only thing I, I would have said though, if I had to choose between kicker and punter, I probably would have picked a punter at this point because I saw that Braden Mann was still on the board, which is one of the consensus, you know, best punters in the draft. I mean, do you have any opinions on that? I know you didn't scout specialists a lot, but would you have rather seen a punter as opposed to a kicker for the bills? Yeah. You know, given the self scouting, at least of the bills, uh, it was clear that the punting just was not up to standard last year. And I totally agree that if the Bills had gone and drafted a punter this weekend, I would have been, I would have been fine with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, but I think I'm, I'm kind of in the camp of fans that looked at Steven Hauschka last season and, you know, he, he, he was, you know, as close to automatic as you could have asked for over, you know, the 2018 season, but 2019 it was just really, I never had the feeling when he went up there to kick that it was a sure thing. Uh, he, he just was not as successful on even those shorter kicks. So like, I'm not going to complain that they took a kicker over a punter here. Uh, but I will complain that they haven't yet sought out another punter. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It does. It does. So with the second sixth round pick, for the Buffalo Bills, they took Isaiah Hodgins, the wide receiver out of Oregon State, monster, six foot four, two hundred and ten pounds. At the sixth round range, I was talking with Christopher Paso, he had him as one of his draft three or day three draft crushes. And uh, I mean, were you as, as happy as he was about that pick for the Buffalo Bills? Well, uh, I definitely do appreciate the big the big wide receivers that you can get, and Hodgins definitely fits that to a T. He is, he has the size, he has the length, he has the leaping ability. He has excellent hands. He's going to snatch the ball right out of the air. Um, he does a great job, you know, when a defender's bearing down on him at the sideline of leaning into that contact to make the catch. Uh, so when you're looking for that red zone receiver, uh, think the Duke Williams that they were trying to get last year, Isaiah Hodgins is in that camp where I would say the reasons why he fell where he did fell into the sixth round. You talk about his ability to handle press coverage. Um, he, he was much more successful from what I watched 
when he was facing off coverage or when he was navigating through a zone. Um, he had the ability to uh, either curl off his roots or, or set up double moves without being harassed um, because he has a really nice double move that he can use to get open deep. But if he if he's facing press coverage, he he needs to get better about using his hands to kind of swim or chop past it uh, because cornerbacks are just stacking on top of him and they have enough speed to run with him. And so that's, I think, why he fell where he did is uh, he he certainly he he tested like an adequate athlete for the position. But the question is, if he can put that together on the field to be more than just that possession receiver. Mm-hmm. So I think um, in in his rookie year, as well as kind of the shorter term, you're looking at possibly a back end of the roster challenger to Duke Williams. And then later on, if he gets better at that route running, um, you can talk about a guy that might be your big slot starter down the line. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. You know, I, I mentioned the Bills haven't put a lot of draft capital into the wide receiver position, you know, since Jay Jones was taken a few years ago in the second round, do you think they were trying to make up for it with this, with the amount of depth that there is in this receiving class, you know, with the, the additions of Gabriel Davis and Hodgins, do you think they were just trying to finally give some weapons to uh, Josh Allen that weren't, you know, of the, weren't basically a free agent? Yeah. I, cause I definitely felt, I, I agree that Back when, what was it, the draft that they got, Ray Ray McLeod and Austin Prohl. Yeah. I was, I was looking at those picks being like, really, that's, that's the receiver that you're going to give this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and these are definitely both a, a clear tier or two above those picks. Um, but yeah, this was a, this was at the, another point in the draft where I was thinking like, okay, you, you went with a receiver again. And like, I get it because this is a, this is a good receiver class. Um, but you know, you already have three veteran starters here. So how much more can you get out of this position outside of like taking it as a lottery ticket? Um, but I think we do have to acknowledge that, you know, John Brown is going to be in the final year of his contract. Um, Cole Beasley is, you know, not going to be here forever. And both John and John Brown and Cole Beasley are now into their thirties. And so if you're going to, draft some guys both of those are 21 year old players that are going to be able to be around for a long time and and you know take take the lottery ticket so with the bills seventh round pick um which i'm kind of surprised they got to because i thought they would have traded the pick away was uh dane jackson the cornerback out of Pitts, six foot 187 pounds um is this just a depth signing or does he have the ability to possibly sit next season and become a potential cornerback two in 2021. What are your thoughts on the pick? I definitely think he's going to be depth for this team. We're not looking at him being a starter this season. There's, there's some encouraging stuff to see from him. He, he defended a ton of passes over the last two seasons of his career. Um, he size wise, he's about the same size as Taron Johnson. Um, but he, he could either play in the slot or outside. Uh, Brandon Bean thinks that they could use him outside if they need to. He has requisite athleticism to kind of play in that quarters zone defense that the Bills like to run. I think this was just about, you know, picking depth that fit their system at the end of it and um, and trying to get a guy who is he's very competitive and, you know, as likely to make the team as any seventh rounder you're going to pick at that point. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. So we went over all the Bills draft picks. I mean, if you had to give a a grade for this draft class in general, um, from your expectations going into the draft to what they actually ended up with, what grade would you give the Bills? I would grade this two different ways, which I think everyone is taking into consideration is, do you count the Stefan Diggs trade or do you leave that out here? Hmm. I think leaving out the Stefan Diggs trade, this probably grades out as about a B, B minus type of draft for me. Mm-hmm. I really like the Moss pick. Um, I, I think the Epinesa pick is going to work out too. And I'm really intrigued by Gabriel Davis. Uh, and then it's, it's a series of lottery tickets, but nobody like wowed me out of this group. Um, and, and there were a couple here and there along the way that I thought, well, maybe you could have, maybe you could have gone with this one instead. Um, so, so I'd call this like a B, B minus type of draft for me. But when you factor in Stefan Diggs, I mean, I, if you're using your first round pick on a guy who's had a thousand yards receiving like every year, uh, easily bumps it up to an A for me. So, uh, all in all for this draft season, it was really good management by the front office to get who they got. Okay, great, great. I I, I I like your logic there with with throwing Stefan Diggs in there. I think I I pretty much have the same agreement with you. Um, I liked it no matter what, but I mean, having Stefan Diggs as your first round pick, you can't go wrong there. Um, so w- what about in general? What was your most questionable draft pick that you thought that Brandon Bean and, and the Bills front office made this year? I think the the questionable one for me that I'm probably going to stick with is is actually AJ Epinesa, uh, just because when we're at that very first pick, I, I thought they could have gone any number of ways there, and I get why they went with what they did. Uh, but right after them was J.K. Dobbins, who I thought could have been another downhill running back, but with feature back upside that I don't think Zach Moss had. Uh, they could have gone with Christian Fulton and paired up two Louisiana State cornerbacks, uh, which would have been fun to see. Um, and so I think that one's just the easiest to second guess given everyone that was on the board at that point. Um, it's a pick your poison thing. If you wanted the bills to get an edge rusher, well, there were like four guys you could have picked from. If you wanted a cornerback, they were there. If you wanted the running back, they were there. So, um, I think that was just the easiest one to second guess because of who was on the board. Well, let me ask you this, because an email, or a listener emailed in this past weekend after the Bills drafted A.J. Epinesa. He was not happy with it. He said, you know, why didn't the Bills draft? The Bills could have drafted J.K. Dobbins there and, and picked up a defensive end later. Well, I guess, you know, I have a couple of different scenarios. I didn't do the cornerback route that you were just talking about with Christian Fulton, but I did go, you know, a couple of the defensive ends and edge rushers that went on that went off the board after Zach Moss. And, like, would you have taken J.K. Dobbins and Anthony Jennings? Over in H A or A J Epinesa and Zach Moss, that that one I would nope. I, I think I would keep the I I keep the Bills Hall with that setup. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of other ones like um, Jonathan Greenard as defensive end and Alex Highsmith. What about those two guys? Would you have taken those over the Zach Moss A J Epinesa? Green Greenard, I could I could I could go with Greenard. Okay. He's I I had him graded high enough that I could see him being a difference maker. Highsmith. Not not so sure on him. He's coming from a lower division, and I I wouldn't be sold on him to be an immediate contributor. Um, but yeah, Dobbins and Greener, that would be interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess we'll never know. Let's hope that we made the right decision. <laughs> yeah. uh, what about uh, the biggest steal of the draft for the Bills? There was a, a few players that actually fell 
to the Buffalo Bills. Um, it feels like this drafting, which what was the biggest steal for the Bills? Um, I would have to say for me, it's it's Jake Fromm. I because I think that he has that real potential. Um, getting getting a quarterback with his kind of resume in the fifth round is is pretty great. Uh, I would also say Epinesa again, just for for the style that the Bills pick uh, and and given where he was originally projected, you can make a lot of a case that you know this is a potential first round talent that fell to the fifty fourth pick. Now this is just this is just me being gun shy as a Bills fan and thinking of Nate Peterman as the backup, which was a fourth round pick a few years ago. I mean. Jake Fromm comes in as a much more polished. I mean, he comes from the SEC. He comes from Georgia. He's played in big games. He's played against high level competition. When Nate Peterman came out, they said that you know he was very limited athletically, but he was you know already ready to be in in the pros based on the style of offense that he played and the leadership characteristics and his intelligence. Blah blah blah. A lot of the same things that Jake Fromm has. Do you think that Jake Fromm is already a better, uh, or or is a better prospect than Nate Peterman was coming out? Uh, without question, I I mean, I was not really a fan of the Nate Peterman pick when they did make it, um, and I, I thought a lot of his, I mean, absolutely, the, the offense that he played in, his ability to run, like, play-action bootlegs and stuff, was, was coaches were going to eat that up, and he also was part of kind of a, a really crazy, fluky win over number one Clemson in his career, and so that obviously stood out, but otherwise uh, Peterman just did not impress me overall. Um, and, and I just think uh, like you were saying from he's done it on a much bigger stage. He did it for his whole career. I mean, Peterman was also a transfer because he lost his starting job at his original school, ended up at Pitt. Um, you know, from you can argue about his passing talent, but he, he beat out Jacob Eason he beat he beat Justin Fields. You know he held down that starting position on a really talented team with the with the spotlight on him for three years. And you know I'm going to bet on that and just see what happens. Okay, great. All right, you made me feel a lot better, Dan. Thank you. <laughs> um, so, what about the biggest surprise of the draft for the Buffalo Bills this season? It can be general or in or a specific um, player in question. For me, the biggest surprise will always be that Stephon Diggs trade. And seeing that, because uh, we went from, I think, the week ago being like, oh, the Bills are really excited about T. Higgins. And then uh, T. Higgins had a really bad pro day. And then like two days later, you hear the Bills are trading for Stephon Diggs and they're getting up their first, fourth and fifth round picks. And it's like, whoa, this just this got serious. This team is going in for the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I'm I'm thrilled to see what that's going to turn into, because. That was the commitment of the whole draft season. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought up the Stefan Diggs um, idea a few times because I think that's just something that we forget about because it's happened over a month ago. You know, we're so in the now thinking of, you know, what just happened lately. The draft just happened today. Oh, yeah, Stefan Diggs is also on the team. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. I, I was just going to say the biggest surprise for me of the draft was the fact that there were no trades made at all by Brandon Bean. I still think... That there, especially because he mentioned on a conference call before the draft that he was going to, he wouldn't have enough room on the roster for all of the draft picks. Yet he still kept all seven draft picks. But then if you think about it, he did trade a lot of them away for for the Stefan Diggs trade. So um, I guess I guess it's not really a surprise that he didn't trade because he made the biggest trade of all, 
the Stefan Diggs, but I guess my secondary one, if it, if it's not going to be the trades, is going to be the fact that the Bills didn't draft any offensive linemen at all in this in this draft. Yeah. And it's one of those things where I, I know it's just like everything on the roster, there's not a huge need, but in a lot of areas on the roster, like they have they have decent and adequate players, maybe slightly above average at certain positions, but then they don't have a lot of depth behind them. And there's a lot of players that are on one-year deals. If you look at Spencer Long, you look at, you know, starters in John Feliciano and uh, Cody Ford is here, right? Tacklers are your right guard. You know, Ty Nsecki is, Ty Nsecki and Daryl Williams, they're only here for this season and then they don't have a contract past this season. I'm kind of surprised they didn't invest in in a guard or a tackle or perhaps a guard slash tackle that they could use depending on where Cody Ford ended up on their line. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, that that was basically my my draft tracker all afternoon on Saturday was just sitting there being like, okay, well, here's, you know, here's Cameron Clark. Are they going to maybe go for him? No. Okay. Uh, how about, you know, how about Ben Bredesen? Oh, nope. He's gone. All right. Tyler, Tyler Biedash. Nope. Okay. And, and just watching them go the whole draft and not a single one. Absolutely. So what are your thoughts real quick on like the Jets and Dolphins drafts? Um, I know AFC East Division Ralphs. I mean, I'll even throw the Patriots in there if you know a little bit about them. But I mean, just looking at the at the players that they were picking, you know, we mentioned Bryce Hall earlier. Um, I believe the Jets got him later in the draft. I mean, it looked like, I mean, unfortunately, for the most part, you can never put anything on paper and, you know, we'll really see how these players end up. But it looks like they had decent drafts. Would you agree with that? Yeah, um, absolutely. Both the Jets and the Dolphins. They they had a, a clear win, um, and I, I'll get to the path at the end because that's that, that's just a Belichick draft, 100. <laughs> um, percent Yeah, the Jets. I mean, Mackay Becton is a freak of nature. Um, I I think he's a he's going to be a real challenge for any team to go up against, and that's that's exactly what they needed. Uh, I I like the Denzel Mims pick uh, as a receiver for them. Ashton Davis is going to be a great safety. And I was amused by, uh, for the second year in a row, they picked a pass rusher out of Florida uh, in the third round. Uh, Last year's selection is already off the team, but I feel better about this one. So uh, all in all, Jets uh, had a very, very solid draft, uh, good early on, and a couple late contributors that I like. So, uh, yeah, that was was a good group. Um, The Dolphins, I mean, they got Tua. That's huge. They got their offensive linemen in place. Uh, Noah Igmanogany is going to be solid. And, you know, they have two starters in place ahead of him. So building up depth. Uh, I love the late picks of Jason Straubage and Curtis Weaver. So this is a team that, and, oh, and the other thing, which isn't even really in their pick list, but that they traded for Matt Breida on day three. Mm-hmm. Um all in all, I thought the Dolphins had one of my favorite drafts this year. Um, they just really know what they're doing. Uh, so we got to watch out for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, Patriots, uh, like I, I'm sitting here scratching my head because I look at it and I'm like, yeah, um, like I don't really know what the plan is here, but every single player was like a Bill Belichick special. So I assume that he knows what's going on. Um, but like Kyle Duggar as their first pick, you know, trading every pick they had, getting another Michigan edge rusher, getting the kicker that nobody has any film for in the fifth round. Like it's it's all over the map. And 
I, I just kind of have to sit back and watch what happens because I can't really predict how that's going to work out. I'm pretty sure Bill Belichick is going to get the benefit of the doubt, though, when it comes to drafting all of these players. Uh, yeah, for sure. And if not, he can blame it on his dog that was sitting at the computer in draft <laughs> night. <laughs> oh, well, Dan, you know, thanks for coming on. Um, really appreciate you doing this. Where uh, people can find all of your great work over at buffalorumblings.com with your articles that are that are that have come out already, which I've posted on our Twitter and Facebook pages. But um, where else can they find you on uh, on social media? Yeah, you can follow me at Dan R. Lavoy on Twitter. Um, and yeah, like you said, I'm on Buffalo Rumblings. I'm there every day. Okay, great. Great. Well, again, appreciate you doing this. It's been great to finally catch up with you and get into, um, you know, one of the uh, one of the great minds over at BuffaloRumblings.com, especially when it comes to the draft. So I've been reading your stuff for a while, and it was great to finally connect with you. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. I loved it. Thanks again to Dan Lavoy for coming on and talking the Bills draft class with us. You can follow all of his great work on BuffaloRumblings.com and follow him on Twitter at Dan R. Lavoy. Now, Lavoy is spelled L-A-V-O-I-E. And wanted to also give a quick thank you to everyone that helps make Circling the Wagons happen behind the scenes. I want to give um, some shout-outs to the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. We have Anthony Marino, uh, Matt Warren, all the great podcasts that go with it, the Nick and Nolan Show, Rumblings Q&A, Breaking Buffalo Rumblings, and Believe. They all do a great job. Really proud to be part of this podcast network with them. I want to thank the Buffalo Rumblings site uh, and, and writers that do a great job every day and every week to really make the site one of the best Bill sites out there. And obviously that includes Dan Lavoy as part of that. I want to thank our families that allow us to do this. I know that, you know, sometimes we miss out on some times. I know today was my, my wife and I's anniversary and, you know, she was, she's such a, an amazing woman. She allowed me to take a couple hours out to, to do this interview and edit it. And, um, just very lucky these things, uh, like so many other things in life don't happen without the people that we love and and the people that are part of our lives supporting us and and helping us do this. I want to thank our listeners, uh, nearby and in Western New York and all over the world. Um, just want to thank you all for listening. We're, we're happy to be a part of your bills conversation. Hopefully we add something to your discussion with your friends and family next time you guys talk to them. We'll also want to thank Mike and John, um, our, our normal co-hosts of this, of this podcast. Um, they do a lot of work and they put in a lot of time to help make a great show during the season and also throughout the off season when they come on. And yeah, also wanted to mention that we're doing a Twitter giveaway of an Ed Oliver signed jersey. So if you go over to our Twitter account, it's at CTW pod. That's like at circling the wagons pod. Um, follow us there, retweet the tweet that is pinned to our account and you'll be eligible to win Monday night, Monday night. I'm going to do the drawing and right as of now, we've gotten a little over 700 retweets. And if we get to 1000 retweets, we're going to give away another signed Jersey. And that Jersey is going to be a signed Tremaine Edmonds Jersey. So we'll give away two jerseys for uh, one giveaway. So pretty sweet. Um, hopefully you guys can be part of that. If you're on Twitter, I've heard from um, a few fans that said they actually created a Twitter account just so they could hopefully be in the running for this signed at Oliver Jersey and hopefully the Tremaine Edmonds Jersey. So be sure to follow us on Twitter there. And we're also on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, just search out circling the wagons podcast. I'm not sure exactly when we'll talk to you next. We've been going hard as a podcast once, sometimes twice a week. 
since last July and just with the lull of the off season and everything that's going on, you know, with COVID-19 and everything, we're just going to take some time off and pop in once in a while with a new podcast, either talking current Bills topics or possibly releasing some throwback clips or highlights from the 2019 season. Either way, the rest of the podcast network will have you covered. So uh, keep subscribed to this channel and you'll be in the know for everything Bills that's going on right now. So for me, Nate, go Bills. Thanks for a t- fun 2020 off season. Thanks to each and every one of you for listening. And we'll talk to you all again soon. Thank you for listening to the Circling the Wagons podcast. Download and subscribe to us in your favorite podcast service. Email us at ctwpod at gmail.com. That's Charlie Tango Whiskey Pod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at ctwpod. And most importantly, go Bills! Nobody circles the wagons like the Buffalo Bills.